Thanks for listening to A Long Time in Finance with Jonathan Ford and Neil Collins in partnership with Briefcase News, the service that brings intelligent curation and analysis to your media monitor. Today we're going to talk about Bulb Energy. Until recently, a company most people had never heard of unless it supplied their energy. Many more have heard of it now. It failed last November and was put into a special administration regime by Ofgem to ensure supplies of energy to its 1.7 million customers. Astonishingly, that support, which is being supplied, by the way, by you and me, Neil, not just us, of course. Yeah, about two, about two hundred pounds per head. Yeah, may per, end uh, up well, customer. yeah, may end up costing the taxpayer an amazing six point five billion, according to the Office of Budget Responsibility. It's not often that they comment on corporate failures, or they're big enough to actually merit a mention in the national accounts. Thanks, Vladimir Putin. The government's now trying to sell Bulb off to another company, Octopus Energy, but the sale is being challenged by a number of other energy companies, including Centrica. Uh, I think the position is that the judge decided it wasn't for him to decide, but if they wanted to challenge the government's decision, they needed a judicial review in a different court. Okay, Uh, that's been parked for now. But here to discuss how all this happened and what it says about the state of Britain's energy system, we have Nick Butler, energy expert, advisor to governments and a great friend of the show. Welcome, Nick. Morning. I suppose we ought to just quickly fill in for listeners who don't know the kind of whole backstory about this. What is Bulb? Why was it created? And why did it end up being such a big part of the energy system? Well, Bulb was a new company created a few years ago in response to the changing government policy, which allowed independent suppliers to come into the retail market. It was designed as a measure to increase competition, to give customers more choice, and to respond to the deep distrust that existed of the existing retailers who were thought to be milking the market. So Bulb was a new creation by a couple of uh, young lads from the city who had done some energy trading and thought they knew the electricity market. And it was very easy to set up companies like this. There was no real check on capital adequacy that you would normally expect a regulator to put in place. There was no real check on the individuals involved. They followed a standard but slightly disreputable business model, which is that you sell low, try to get a lot of customers, live off the money that those customers are putting in, and they failed because the prices didn't keep falling as they had done in previous years. Therefore, they were caught with obligations to customers which they couldn't match. And they're one of, I think it's 28 companies now that have failed. You said, Jonathan, in your introduction, thanks to Vladimir Putin for this bill of £200 per... That's not quite correct. This problem began well before Mr Putin invaded Ukraine. He hasn't helped, but the real thanks should go to the so-called business department and to the regulator who should have... That's the government. That is the government, yes. It's our old friend, Mr. Guateng, who was in charge at the time. And they should have checked that these companies could operate and had enough financial flexibility to cope with the ups and downs of what has always been a volatile energy market. They didn't. And therefore, the costs fall on the customer. 
Could I just go back a step? Why did the government decide that six competitors, none of whom was making a lot of money, was too few, so they opened it up in the first place? It seems to me that six competitors in a market like this is a perfectly reasonable total. What do you think that the uh, thinking behind that was? Well, you're a reasonable man, and I don't think that's the criteria on which to judge this. This was a political judgment uh, designed to open up more competition. There was a, a sense, never proved, and I think quite wrong, that those six companies were in cahoots and fixing the market. I don't think that was true, and but they wanted to bring in more competition. It was part of a, a rather ideological approach, but it was done in such a slapdash way. Yeah. Competition's fine. But you do have to make sure in an area like uh, energy, which is really important to every user, that the companies involved are sound and can cope with volatility. Yes, I think the sort of volatility that was injected into the market by the opening up of it was a terrible thing. Centrica was making so much money that the share price went from £4 to £1. But that was partly when the competition came in because the losses that all the existing yeah. players took became enormous. You can't just blame Quasi because it was pre him. It was sort of uh, 2015, wasn't it? So it would have been whoever was in God, Amber Rudd or somebody like that. Well, I, you can have a long list. I don't think we've got time to <laughs> no. do the, a list of the guilty men and women. What happened was, of course, these players who came in promising long-term cheap deals to customers, won a lot of customers, and Bob was very successful in doing that. Not the only one. They were one of the biggest. They did so by promising people a deal that they couldn't actually deliver, because with the end of the pandemic, world gas prices, even before Ukraine, rose quite a lot last year, and they were contracted to sell at a price below the price at which they were having to buy the gas. That's a very interesting point because, I mean, the model you describe is very much the sort of business model of a sort of Deliveroo or a uh, Just Eat or one of these companies that was set up, which is to use venture capital money, make lots of losses, get a huge customer base and hope you survive. And, and, and Jonathan, take out a lot of cash on the way. I have a really serious beef with the, with the setup, which is not confined to the ones that failed this idea that the customer provides all the working capital which allowed these businesses to continue. But it's not just them. The whole industry now expects you to pay in advance for your energy. Your balance might get down towards zero in the middle of the summer, but at no point do get to the point where you actually owe them money. So they use your capital to run the business. And this is true of the, the survivors as well as the, as well as the failures. That's right. And I think the failure of these 28 companies is going to lead to quite a lot of scrutiny on how the whole market works and how the regulator works. The principal blame for this, to me, rests with Ofgem, who should have seen the problem coming, who should have intervened and set real standards for these companies to work, including limiting the amount of money they take from customers in advance in order to run their own business. Yes, but they've just produced some new guidelines and have specifically not included what guidelines? new rules for the, for the industry. The rules do not include 
any need to ring fence customers' money or anything about using the customers' capital as, as their working capital. Yes, the changes are completely inadequate. Can I just ask, at the risk of sounding like a shill for the industry, <laughs> was this, we're talking about segregating customers' money and the use of customers' balances, was that not just something that all the utilities did in the past? Is it a new thing, This the idea that you don't segregate customer funds? I think it is, a, is something that um, the people who came into the market, who were not traditional suppliers, they weren't British Gas with a gas man coming to help you and provide all the services. They were essentially short-term, in-and-out financial traders, finding a market that was thought to be captive and open to these cheap offers, which were better than they could deliver. And I think they used every loophole. Okay, so they just exploited an existing vulnerability. But but one thing I want to do, do want to get onto is, can you explain to us, I mean, this OBR number of £6.5 billion, pounds, you know, the cost of this loss falling on the taxpayer, it's not really explained. Do you think it's realistic? And can you just sort of outline for us how we've got to a situation with a company with 1.7 million customers could possibly ever cost this much to unwind? It comes down to the fact that, that what their obligations are to buy against their obligations to the consumer. And I assume with a lot of customers, the per capita obligation was quite high. There does now seem to be a question mark over the figure. I think the OBR are usually very reliable, but there's a suggestion here that they didn't have all the data and that now with the volatility of the market, the company has not lost quite so much as that. But we don't know. And I think the other problem in this is the total lack of transparency. I think when there's taxpayers' money on this scale being spent and consumers' money rather than taxpayers, everything ought to be put on the table. I think there ought to be a forensic audit of these companies to show who did what, who took money out and when, and why you get to any figure at the end of the day. I think also, as in reallocating these companies, and this is the legal challenge that you referred to, it's not very clear to me, and, and reading all the reports of this, why Octopus was chosen, what the deal is with them, how much they have been given to take on this burden, how much has been written off by the government in some way on the way through this. And I think the other companies, who I believe are very respectable suppliers were not given a chance to bid. Important question, but let's just quickly unpack that. Octopus Energy, which is the company that has bid for, and I, I understood that it was pretty much the only company that did end up bidding for I believe, yes, bulb. They, and that is because the full details of this were not available to all those other companies to mm. bid. One of them has said that there's so much redacted in the offered contracts that their lawyers couldn't understand the deal that they were being invited into, so they didn't bid. That will go through the courts as to whether it was legal or not. But I think government and Ofgem have a responsibility to make this a transparent process. If we're paying, I want to know why I'm paying. I can't really answer your question about why it's 6.5 billion. It's a hell of a lot of money. I think the National Audit Office said the, the first 27 that went broke added up to 2.7 billion. Good God. Uh. That was a report a few weeks ago. Now, 
that's quite a lot of money. It, it obviously, if the OBR, as you said, are, are now putting out these numbers, that shows it has a material influence on public finances. It is equivalent to a penny on income tax, roughly. It is extraordinary that the only thing we know about it is a single line in the OBR's commentary on the last budget. The government has given us no information at all. Uh, and it seems to me to be absolutely extraordinary that it can maintain this this stance for a sum of this size. Barely a week went by during the heyday of these where there weren't league tables in the press explaining which supplier was the cheapest. So these mini suppliers, some of them run from a back room with a laptop yes. uh, could easily I mean, get... You, you two could be energy suppliers. I know, well, we're wasted missed here. opportunity. <laughs> next next week... take much money. <laughs> next week, next week. Well, this would make but, a nice but, headquarters. You know, the, the, since there was no moral hazard here, the press, I think, do bear some share of the blame for essentially giving these people constant free publicity. Well, I th- isn't it a bit reminiscent of, you know, kind of the... The people who put all their money into Iceland just before, in the banks in Iceland just before the financial crisis, because they thought, oh, I can get 3% rather than 1.5%. Yes, I, I think it plays off people's desire for a quick win and people's belief that these deals are available and, and somebody's ripping them off somewhere else. So here's somebody offering a cheap deal. It must be better. That's just not true. I mean, because of the nature of the business, I mean, this is essentially a utility business. I think all the companies involved should show their workings and what they're paying, what profit they're taking, reasonable profit, and what they're charging to customers. And I think that is the nature of this business. It's not Deliveroo. It matters so much to everybody. And the costs when it goes wrong are so considerable that I think we need a different standard of transparency. Yeah, and you mentioned the... Uh... The characters involved, we haven't really talked very much about them. Hayden Wood, who was a management consultant, who obviously did some project on the energy sector, and a man called Amit Goodka, who was, a, as you say, an energy trader at Barclays. Jonathan, is there anybody who isn't a management consultant? Well, I've never been one. <laughs> <laughs> Probably a good thing for for all of us. Um, <laughs> but basically, so Goodka left towards the end, before the the company collapsed. But amazingly, I mean, first of all, Hayden Wood carried on working until very recently for this business, being paid, I think, a quarter of a million pounds a year. And he's made quite a lot of money, as has Goodka, by selling shares to various people on the way up. It does seem the most astonishing thing that they, they can receive what, what I used to refer to as rewards for failure. It is uh, disgraceful, really. But it is how this market has worked. You see, as you mentioned, some of the other scams and scandals we've had. People can put money in their pocket and then walk away and leave the rest of us to pick up the bill. Do you think that uh, Ofgem has got the power if it chose to exercise it? Or do you think that actually the regime under which they operate is inadequate to stop this sort of thing? A bit of both. They do have more powers than they've used but they probably need more and certainly support from the government. They're not really independent. They are controlled by ministers and they were told to introduce this competition process. They, they were all 
questions about whether the companies should hedge or not. You need a, a regulator who is independent of government, very well respected. I think Ofcom is much better than Ofgem. I think it's had weak leadership and weak guidance from ministers and needs to be replaced. This, to me, is vaguely reminiscent of another bugbear of a long time in finance, which is the water sector, where the regulator disdained the idea of looking at the balance sheets of the companies that were operating in this market and allowed them to become incredibly highly leveraged. We're exactly the same dynamic, which is that the public interest demands people get their water and the companies which saddle the customers with extraordinary debt have to be supported sufficiently to allow them to pay their debts, which is ridiculous. It's a kind of the tail wagging the dog. Yes, that's right. There is a public interest. And I think that that is what it's going to reassert itself now after this problem and all the others you're talking about. <laughs> that's not easy to define. But I think Ofgem should start by setting real boundaries and standards for the companies that are operating in the sector. I think part of the problem from Ofgem's point of view is that if they start putting on tough new rules, there'll be another cascade of failures of uh, amongst the survivors. There's even suggestion that uh, Octopus itself is not exactly completely financially maybe sound, should, although it does. The suggestion, reference that to the a man suggestion, in court called the suggestion does come from. Centrica, who, of course, have a yes. vested interest. But since we have no idea what Octopus's balance sheet looks like, they might well be right. Absolutely. And that's why we need more transparency. And I think markets go through this sort of volatility, as the financial market did in 2008. At the end of it, you have to have tighter rules, and then you have to make sure that the company's working there. They get a fair return, but they don't get more than a fair return. This is a utility business that has been lost. It's been seen over the last decade as an area where you can make cheap, quick money. Ring fencing of customers' deposits and a more equitable division of who's providing the working capital, I think, is also needed. Because in the old days, you used to get a bill and you paid it. I think that's the, the rise of the direct debit is one of the things that has been the catalyst for this change. Yes, let's go back to paper Sounds checks. like you're going to go back to yeah. pre-decimal currency. Yeah, yeah, yeah. back oh, to no. coloured stones. <laughs> yeah, the interesting point about the financial crisis, of course, just to go back to, to our friends at Bulb for a second, I mean, it's very intriguing looking at the shareholders who backed this venture. One of them was this fellow who is an Israeli-Russian investor called Yuri Milner, who's better known for backing things like Facebook and various things in Silicon Valley. And Magnetar, which is, I don't know, for those with a long memory, was an American hedge fund which promoted CDOs in the years before the financial crisis, all of which went bust. So once again, you can see that the sort of people who were backing this venture were not the sort of people you would expect to turn up backing a utility investment. Well, they saw it as something that would provide something more than a utility rate of return. As indeed it has. <laughs> as well, indeed, as but... indeed it has and did for a while. But the, the art of those sort of players is to go in, build and get out. Well, build, I'm not sure. Jerry build. Build the book of uh, customers to 1.7 million in this case. That's a lot of customers. And I think this is fluid capital going to an area where they thought they could make a, 
a killing. They weren't expecting to make a four or five percent utility rate of return. They, they went in because this looked like a market that was open for a bit of manipulation. Let's turn to the question of what should be done. What you've, you've talked about things needing to change. What would be top of your list to put this whole thing right? I change the leadership of Ofgem, and I would change their remit to give them more power to impose on these companies requirements, which I'm sure the big six can meet, of capital adequacy and business plans that were resilient to volatility, less taking of customers' money as a, as a means of funding the business. So setting new rules, which should be workable for the companies, otherwise they'll all get out of the market, which would be not the right answer. So you have to have an agreed but firm new settlement. Yeah. Uh, and transparency, of course. I, I would make the companies show why their prices are as they are. In this volatile market, most of them have not exploited the situation. They work on a long-term basis. But I think you need strong new leadership with new guidelines, agreed with government and parliament. That will work. It works elsewhere. I don't see why it can't work here. Uh, Nick, I've just had a, a message saying, would you like to be the next Director General of Ofgem? Would I? Stop sucking up to the guests, <laughs> Neil. <laughs> <laughs> that was A Long Time in Finance with Jonathan Ford and Neil Collins. Production and editing by Nick Hilton and our sponsorship partner is briefcase.news. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review it on your podcast app as that will help new listeners find us.